In recent weeks, we have been discussing these two kingdoms that we are in the midst of, a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. But it is very important for us to be able to discern these two kingdoms accurately. For we don't want to be considering people who are actually in the kingdom of light as our opponents. This disunity is what the enemy wants. He wants to divide God's kingdom of light against itself. And by Jesus' own words, he says a kingdom divided itself cannot stand. Well, doesn't the enemy know that as well? Won't our enemy also try to divide us so that we fall? Within Christ, no one will fall. But it is important for us to know who is in Christ and who is not. It is also important for us to be able to discern who is a false prophet and who is simply someone who we are having a theological disagreement with because there's a difference. Some people treat everyone who disagrees with them theologically as a false prophet, but this is not profitable. God calls us to love people and to treat those who are in the kingdom of light as if they're in the kingdom of light and to treat those who are actually in the kingdom of darkness as in the kingdom of darkness, but with the heart of reaching them. But how do we do so? In this episode of the Acts series, we're going to delve into chapter 13, where Paul is going to be teaching us a little bit about this. And it all starts in Acts 13, verse 5, where I want to read to you about how Paul entered a place that he was not exactly welcome in. And in fact, this is something that happens in many places in the Bible, as you'll soon discover that that Jesus and his apostles and Paul, they went into areas of fellowship that didn't welcome them with open arms all the time. Let's read verse five. We read when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them. Okay, so before we read further, like there's a there's a if you know anything about history, there's a big red flag that's about to go up right now because Paul is in a synagogue of Jewish people. These are people who do not know about Jesus, that Yeshua is the Messiah. These are people who who do not know the gospel. And so Paul is coming to them, though. I mean, think about that today. So often when we think about people who are who are who believe in God, but who aren't believing the same ways we do right now, so often we are quick to discount them and to push them aside as a fellowship option this Sabbath. But yet it says that Paul went in there on the Sabbath into a synagogue of the Jews. And this was a radical model change. You see, when you look back at history and even modern the modern day of today, how we think about church and how we think about synagogue and all these types of fellowships, it's so often about what do the congregants get out of it? That's why we call it a church service. 
It's the, 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 there are people who are going to be servicing you, right? But yet, here we see Paul is making a decision about where to go fellowship, not based off how they can service him, but based off how he can service them. Service is the word from the root word serve. You see, so often we make decisions based on what we can get out of it. What does this fellowship offer us? But Paul went because he thought, well, what can I offer them? What can I serve them with? And so this is very weird because in the first century, Jewish law was so often all about how you are only supposed to associate with other people who do not disagree with you. And what I mean by disagree is they have to believe the same as you. And in many circles today, it's the same thing. We don't talk, we don't get near people who are disagreeing, disagreeing with us on things. But Paul is radically breaking free from this mold. And he is saying, you know, a lot of you guys believe all kinds of weird things, like not to even associate, in other words, not even to eat with someone who has eaten pig or not to, because they are unclean, you know. There are all these cultural trends going around, but Paul goes to the people who aren't believing the way he does. And I want to read on to you because... Yeshua, Jesus, did the exact same thing. Jesus was speaking with his disciples and they came to him and they asked him, they said, there's this man, he's casting out demons in your name. We, he's not with us. He's not, he's not on our, in our team per se. Like he's not traveling with us. That's how they think. And you, what does Jesus say? He says in Luke 9, 49, John answered, Master, we show someone casting on demons in your name and we try to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. You see, that's what we want to do as people. We want to stop everyone who doesn't, we don't know, who don't follow with us. But it says, Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. And notice what he says. He, he, he says the one who's not against you is for you. He's not saying that, you know, um, the one who is got a different theology than you is against you. Rather, he says, if someone is for you, they're for you. They don't have to agree on everything yet. They don't have to be in your church. They don't have, you don't have to be familiar with them. But if they are not against you, they're for you. You know, this is crazy because it means that even if it's someone who doesn't necessarily believe the same way we do, even, listen, even believe in the same Messiah yet, like these Jewish people in this synagogue that Paul is approaching, they don't even believe in Jesus. But, he, but they are not against Paul. So he, they are then for Paul. Because as long as someone is not stopping you, as long as someone is not speaking against you, as long as someone is not coming against you, they are still an open door for the gospel to be reached and for the gospel to reach through a door of opportunity. And so I am not speaking about compromise here today, I am, but I am speaking about who are our enemies. Because there's a difference between someone who doesn't have the knowledge that you have and may just be in ignorance over some things and who may need to be convinced 
by the truth of God and His Word and His Holy Spirit. And there's, a, and then there's someone else who's absolutely an enemy, working, motivated by Satan, working for Satan's kingdom, out to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. You see, there's a difference. But sometimes we get so confused because we treat all the people who, oh, they don't agree with me. We throw them all in the same bucket as if their motivations are worthy all to be judged as being driven by Satan himself. Now, I want to read to you about Jesus, right? In Luke 4.16, we say it says, And he, talking about Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Okay, so this was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue every Sabbath. And he went there like any other Sabbath of his life to to listen to the Torah and the prophets being read. And in this situation, they actually um, invited him up to share something. And then when he started sharing, they didn't like what he had to share. And long story short, they chased him out with stones. But yet, did Jesus not know this? Did Jesus not know that these people aren't going to be all on the same page as him? Well, of course he did. He knew that where they were at. But why did he enter that place? Because he still was there for the person of peace, the person who needed to be reached with his words of a living water and new life. And brothers and sisters, that's supposed to be our hearts. That even in the midst of places where we know there will be opposition, there will still be hearts and souls who are persons of peace who need to hear the good news of the gospel. Who are the assemblies that you don't agree with and who don't agree with you? Because to Paul and to Yeshua thus far, we are reading that they went to them. They went to them. They had a calling on their lives. They were like, we need to go to these places. I wanted to just add in here that at the same time as us having this heart to reach and to serve others, also make no mistake that Paul also had good fellowship that was like minded to him. And in the same way, I'm not saying in this teaching that it's not important for us to have fellowship with people who we can really connect with, who we can we can grow from, who can serve us. There's really a balance. Now, let's look at another example. We read in Acts 13, just a few verses further now, when they came to a different place um, called Antioch. It says in verse 14, But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Same thing. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Okay, so we see start seeing a pattern that they were going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That's the seventh day of the week, also known as Saturday today. Okay, this is these people, Paul, Yeshua, the disciples, they all kept the Sabbath according to the fourth commandment uh, as delivered by God and as created in creation in Genesis 2 verse 3. They love God's Sabbath and they're in the synagogue on it. And on this case now, we see that Paul is there and as they're reading from the law and the prophets, they actually also give Paul an opportunity to share, just like they 
gave Jesus an opportunity in the previous uh, verse in Luke we just read. And what Paul does now is very amazing. He gets up and he starts sharing with these people. But the way he shares, I want you to take note of. Like he could stand up and he could just be like, look, this is the way it is. Deal with it. And he, and he could lay out the gospel in the way that he would feel is just straight to the point. But what he does is actually he thinks about who his audience is. A, a, an audience of Jewish people of the seed of Abraham who who know the stories of the Torah so very well. In fact, that's what they just finished reading. And that's why Paul goes and he says, brothers and sisters, I want you to remember about what happened in the Exodus, how God brought our people out of Egypt. He brought them to a promised land. He eventually raised King David. And from that seed of King David, he even brought forth now this man called Yeshua, the Messiah. And through this story that he walks them through, he explains to them the gospel. You know, Paul is so amazing in how he delivers this, that people are are so shocked that they and it actually says in Acts 13, 43, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke of them, urged him to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Like this was really powerful. Like these people actually were being convinced in their hearts because how Paul approached them. Now, I want to tell you just a little story. When I was, I was in Nashville just a few week, weekends ago um, to visit a, a brother's congregation there, and it was amazing. And there was a lady who came up and she had a question for me, and it was just such a good question and relevant to what we're talking about here. She said that she has the gift of discernment. Okay, the gift of discernment is if you're able to see in the spiritual realm what spirit is behind whatever. Maybe it's behind a person. You could look at a person and God will show you this. There's a spirit of lust or there's a spirit of, of uh, jealousy or there's a spirit of pride. Okay, whatever. There's something going on. And so she walks through her life and the father comes and just shows her random people in her life. Boom, that's going on. Boom, that's going on. Boom, that's going on in their lives. And she has said that she has felt almost cursed by this gift because she feels like people will just think she is crazy and she doesn't really know what to do with all the knowledge that the father is giving her about all these other people. Because obviously, you know, if you just walk up to someone random who God has shown you something about and you're like, hey, hey, you, you, you're strung up, your spirit, spirit of jealousy is on you, you know? Like that probably won't go down well, if, especially if it's not a believer. Like, what do you mean I have a spirit of jealousy? You know, so I had the honor of just talking with her a bit about that. And, and what is so key for someone in her position and for all of us, because we all have our giftings that God is going to use us in to reach people by, no matter what that gift is, what's so important is that you know when to say what the Father has shown you and what to say, how to say it and what not to say. 
Because sometimes the Father will show you something about someone and it's not for you to walk up to them and just tell them what the Father has shown you, but it's for you to use the information He's given you to help reach their heart. And so just an example of this would be that if the Father has shown you about your coworker who has who is uh, struggling in pornography, you're probably not going to just go up to him and be like, hey, you're struggling in pornography. No. You're going to be, if, if this is someone who is in the context of a, a workplace and you're going to be seeing them often and over a long period of time, you're going to be waiting for that opportunity. That you're going to be, be friendly and kind and build a relationship with them. And then that one day when they come into work and their marriage is falling apart and they've got their head in their hands and they've got tears to shed and you are equipped with the knowledge that the Father has shown you about what's actually going on in their life, you can now go and speak to them in kindness and love. Hey, brother, why do you think this is happening? And he can speak, he can speak. And, and even though you know, you, you let him share. And then, but brother, man, I love you. Let me ask you this. Are, are you struggling with like pornography? And then that point, if he's, if it's the right time, if it's the right place, and you know what to say, how to approach this, then you unlock their heart. That is the key to unlocking the hearts of people. Because you approach it out of love, not out of, I know what you are doing wrong, stop doing it. No, because of out of love, you have approached them. Because you actually love them and you actually want them to be free. And you recognize they're in bondage and they don't even realize it. And then you can share with them the problems that pornography would bring into that marriage. And maybe that's got something to do with a marriage that's falling apart. So that's just a, an example for you. But, but this just shows the power of knowing who your audience is, who the person is you're talking to. And now, uh, Paul knew this very well. I, I want to read to you here in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Paul here is explaining now how he approaches people in this way. And he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. You see, he's using this language. He's being a servant to people. And, and uh, he says he's free from all. He's not driven by what people think. He's not driven by uh, by who the people are. He's not saying things to tickle ears. But he is saying, I am free from them, but I am serving them. So I can win them. And then he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became one as under the law. Though not myself being under the law that I may win those under the law. Then he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And then he says, to the weak, I became weak, that I may win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that I may, by all means, I may save some of them. Like, I love what he is saying here. And, and I want to break this a little bit down for you because so many people are so confused by this. This is not a language of compromise. This is a language of power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to, to communicate to people in a way that they can receive it. 
Now, he says to the Jews, I became as a Jew. That's like when he went into the synagogues, right? Like we just read earlier. And he says then this, listen to this. To those under the law as under the law I became, so I might win them. Now, now what does that mean? Because he says, I'm not under the law myself, but I became as one under the law. You see, under the law means to be held under the consequence of the law. Like if you're dragged before a judge and you're being held under the law because you were breaking it. Now, people who are under the law are those who have broken the law, who are dragged before the judge, who are guilty, if you will, and who have no payment. In other words, they don't have the sacrifice of Christ for their sins. They may know the law. They may try their best to keep the law, but they have no no sacrifice to cover their sins. And that means that they are ultimately guilty of the law because we have all fallen short and broken it. So they're held under the law because they're without Christ. In fact, in Acts 13, 39, it says, And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The law of Moses was never there to, to set you free from sin. It cannot do that. It's a law. It tells you what is sin. It tells you what is wrong, but it cannot set you free. That is reserved for the power of God, the sacrifice of Yeshua and the Holy Spirit that was poured out upon you. And now he next thing. So that's what under the law is. He says, I became as under the law to reach those. And then now he goes on, he says to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of myself, but under the law of Christ. Okay, what does it mean to be outside the law then? Well, under the law is when you have broken the law and you don't have Yeshua. Outside the law is when you have no law. When you do not even have the knowledge of what the law is, you are like a, that would be like a pagan. And he says, for those people, he is, he becomes as them. In other words, he would approach them in a way that they could understand. He would speak to them in a way they can hear. Now, how does that work? Like, let's make an example. If there is someone, right, who is in paganism and they serve other gods, right? Oftentimes we have come to them and we have told them, ah, you know what? There's no other God but one. There's no other God but one. There's only one true God. And, And that's true, right? There is only one true God, Yahweh. But now here's the deal. If if you're a pagan, you've worshiped your idols for your whole life. You have seen things happen. You have seen a form of power in your worship, in your religion of paganism. And someone else like a Christian comes to you and says, there's no other God but one. You'll be like, what are you talking about? I have seen forms of power. People in witchcraft or Satanism will tell you, what do you mean there's no other God but one? I, my gods, they do things for me. I have seen them do stuff for me. Who are you? You you Christian don't know what you're talking about. Because see, there's a disconnect. You're not speaking to them in a way that they could understand. Even what you're saying is true. You see, this is the thing. What you're saying is true. There is one true God. But the thing is, there are demons. There is a kingdom of darkness. And if, if these people are worshiping false gods, that is they're actually worshiping demons and demons have a form of power. We know this from the scriptures itself. Pharaoh's magicians had their snakes come forth too, right? 
We know that there is a power, a form of power in the kingdom of darkness, even though God's snake eats the snake of Pharaoh. And that God has is the one true God. But now see if you explain this to them in a way that they can understand that, look, your gods aren't what you think they are. Come and worship the one true God who is all powerful over all of those gods that you worship. You see, that's actually a deeper step into the truth of the matter where pagans or other people in that group who are outside the law would understand. Because, well, of course, we live in a world that is spiritual too, right? All right, so this is what Paul means, for example. He goes to those under the law. That is like a Jewish synagogue. Oh, and when he goes to those outside the law like a pagan, he's going to speak different to them. And now notice what he says. He says not being outside the law, but he says he's under the law of Christ. What does it mean to be under the law of Christ? You see, under the law of Christ is to walk as Christ walked and to be justified by faith. To walk as Christ walked, that is to walk in holiness, to walk in obedience to his father's instructions, the law of God, because Christ was in obedience to the law of God for anything else would be sin. 1 John 3 verse 4, sin is a transgression of the law, right? So, so Yeshua obeyed the law and we need to imitate him. And then at the second step is we need to know we are justified by faith in what he has done. He is our payment for our sins. That is to be in the law of Christ. It's not to live again in contradiction to God's law. It's not to break God's law. And it's also not to do away with the gospel and Yeshua himself and his sacrifice for us. So we see, brothers and sisters, that there is this deeper place that God calls us to you see, you can easily be like, you know what? I know the truth and truth and knowledge is good, but it can puff you up. We have to be careful of that because if knowledge puffs you up to the point where you're like, you know, I'm going to just say it the way I want to say it. And they, if they don't get it, then well, they, then it's not meant to be and they should just go and go to, go to hell. That's how many people have thought about evangelism about sharing Yeshua with people. Well, if, if they don't get it the way that I say it, then well, whatever. No, this is not the heart of Yeshua. This is not how Paul did it. This is not how anyone in the Bible did it. And if you do, you're a terrible evangelist, which will only drive people away from Yeshua. You must understand your audience. Now, there is one thing, and that is to reach those who have disagreement, who have a lack of knowledge, like the cases we have gone through thus far. But now, what about people who are in actual opposition to the gospel, who have, after being presented the knowledge, who after have be, you've been conversing with them, but now they have not only been in disagreement, but they have now come against you. This is what Yeshua talked about. If they're not against you, they're for you. But now what if they are against you? And they're obviously not for you anymore. Now, I want to read here Acts 13, verse 45, because we started seeing this happen now. But when the Jews saw the crowds of people now coming to Paul, getting excited about what Paul is saying, they were filled with jealousy. 
and began to contradict what, what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Wow. Okay, so we see now that there are these people who are who are who are getting jealous, who are who are getting threatened, who have their selfish ambitions. In other words, they are doing something. They have their ministry going, and now there's someone else who's got their under ministry. This is Paul, and they feel threatened because all, all these people are are running to Paul, and they feel like they're losing influence. Jealousy prevents us from seeing the truth because we're more concerned about our own influence and building our own thing than about the truth of what is true. And if you're more concerned about building your own thing than about truth, then you will you will compromise what is true for the sake of gathering more influence. You will tickle ears. You will lead uh, uh, them to water even if that water is not the living water of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, this is why it is so important for us to when we are looking at ministries, who we are listening to, who, whose teachings we're following, look for ministries who have no problem partnering with other ministries. Because if there is a ministry who is like disconnected from the body of Christ, doing their own thing, never partnering with the rest of the body of Christ, that is usually a red flag. Because ultimately, we need to be able to work with people in the body of Christ, even if we don't totally agree with them on everything. I mean, come on, I don't agree with everyone that I have ever partnered with a ministry on everything because I don't agree with anyone on everything. <laughs> like if we just spoke long enough, we would probably find something to disagree on. Something in this world. And guess what? It's okay. It's okay. Like, it's really all right. It's not a problem. But we live in such a culture in a world today where any form of disagreement is makes someone an enemy. But this is not how this was in the mind of Christ. Now, it's not supposed to be this theological echo chamber that we form for ourselves because everyone else who disagrees is outside and we break off and do our own thing. That's an echo chamber that becomes really dangerous because you stop considering the words of people who don't agree with you on everything. And when you get into that place, that's a dangerous place because sometimes God wants to reach you with the truth through someone who you might not expect. God can speak through a donkey. What makes you think he can't speak through your enemy? What makes you think even more so that he can't speak through someone who has other theological disagreements with you? God can speak through them. Sometimes we're, we're enemies with people who we're supposed to be on the same team with. And so while all this is true, there's also now an aspect of, well, but what about false prophets? Because there is a thing like false prophets. And in fact, in this very chapter of Acts 13, a false prophet does arise. And we see uh, here, verse 6, how they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Interesting name, isn't it? It means son of the Savior. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, 
You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what occurred, and he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, there's just a bunch of amazing things happening right here. First off, this guy is called Bar-Jesus. That's his, like, stage name, (laughs) if you will. And that means son of the Savior. But now Paul comes along and he calls him out for who he actually is. Notice, while his name is son of the Savior, Paul comes and he says, you son of the devil. So he calls him out for what he is, and then he, he, he puts a curse on him. He says, the hand of the Lord's upon you. You will be now be stricken with blindness. Because ultimately, Paul was given authority by the Holy Spirit to do this. Think about this. This is a crazy thing, and this is not the first time it happened. Many times when there were people who came to make, who, who came to bring, tried to bring crookedness upon the straight paths of the Lord, Paul, uh, God used his instruments to sometimes bring curse upon people like that. In fact, Paul himself underwent that himself. Remember, at the, on the road to Damascus, we read a few weeks ago how Paul was struck with blindness by Jesus himself. And so, because Paul was blind, he was struck with blindness. Because Bar-Jesus was blind, he was struck with blindness. And because Paul came to make... Uh, bring crookedness to the straight paths of the Lord. He was struck of blindness. And now this same man is doing it and he is being struck of blindness. God has no problem judging, bringing swift judgment upon opponents and even doing that through his chosen servants who are being closely led by the Holy Spirit who is hearing his voice. Now, I want you to be very careful about this because you need to be making sure that if you are willing to stand up and say, you false prophet, you son of the devil, like Paul is doing here today, you need to better be sure that you're just not throwing this around. Because quite honestly, brothers and sisters, there are so many people way too eager to throw this around and be zealous about who they think is a false prophet while not having the authority from God to even do so. Because everything, everyone who disagrees with them is now a false prophet. That is not always the case. Not everyone disagrees is a false prophet. There are false prophets, though. And so that discernment is really something that we must grow in as we mature in the Lord. And we must be careful to publicly exercise that until we are absolutely mature in the Lord. Now, I want to talk to you about a few examples of, of how God has done this before. If we think about, uh, I mentioned earlier briefly, Pharaoh and his magicians and we and, and Moses and Aaron, and we have the, the show off of the staffs turning into snakes, right? But we then have God coming with a threat of death upon Pharaoh and his household because God, God's snake eats the snake of Pharaoh. And remember now, Pharaoh is the god of the snake in the eyes of the Egyptians. He has the little snake here on his forehead as a symbol of who he represents. God's snake eats that, eats Pharaoh's snake, showing God's power and judgment that is coming upon the house of Pharaoh. 
And of course, that, that death actually did enter that house as the firstborn later died. We also had the example of Peter and Simon the sorcerer, like we've read in the book of Acts earlier, where Peter came and he said, let your silver perish with you, for you desire to buy the Holy Spirit with your money. That was a threat of death, a warning. Obviously, Simon had a chance to repent, and he did. He, he repented in that moment, and then he did not die. We had another example of uh, uh, Ananias and Zephira, where as they lied to the Holy Spirit about their offering, Peter, similar to how Paul just did this, Peter came to Ananias and Zephira and said, you will now fall down and die because you fly to the Holy Spirit, and they did. But all of these things happened under strict, strong influence of the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, brothers and sisters, what God wants to do is when witchcraft opposes, when fall, actual false prophets who are not just God, who doesn't just have a different theology than you, but those who are actually coming to destroy the gospel, that's their heart. God desires to treat them in a way that is a witness to others. Like how uh, Paul treated Bar-Jesus, that was a witness to the, um, the pro-council. And the pro-council who saw all of this, he repented. He was like, wow, this is God. And so God used this blinding of this man as a sign of his power. And so uh, we see that God does this many times. And what's key for us to then learn from all of this is to not be intimidated by the demons, not be intimidated by the, the false prophets, not be intimidated by the actual, actual opponents of God, but to use our authority of the Holy Spirit to come and put them in their place. But now, as I end this off, you know, I want to ask, what is a false prophet? What, what is the simple test? You know, th this is a big topic, but in short, what I would just like to share with you is Acts 18 verse 26 here for a moment of an example of what a false prophet first is not. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay, Apollos is a man who is lacking in knowledge about the truth. He's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching, he's public, preaching to people, and he doesn't know the full picture. What does Priscilla and Aquila do? Do they stand up and say, this man is a false prophet, get rid of him, for he does not have the knowledge of the full truth of our Lord Jesus? Do th th is that what they do? No, that's not what they do. Because they had the discernment to see that this was a man who was not against them. He was not against them. So he is still for them, even if there's disagreement in that moment. So they pulled him aside and they spoke to him with love and tender hearts. And his heart was opened because in private, they had the respect to approach him with the truth. But now... As we see that our theolo even our strong theological disagreements are not, is not the, the basis of calling someone a false prophet, what, are, what is important is, well, there are a few deal breakers. There are a few things that we cannot negotiate on, such as the fact that Yeshua is the Messiah, 
such as the fact that Yahweh is God, that he is the one true God. And so if someone is coming and preaching to you another God or another philosophy of some sort, Yes, if they are coming militantly against you and preaching what they are preaching instead. Notice what I'm saying. I'm not just saying they believe in a different God. I'm not just saying they believe in a different philosophy. That does not make them false prophets yet. Because they're still reachable. Because if they're not against you yet, they're still reachable. But it's when they believe in those things and then they turn against you and they start proclaiming things against the gospel. And after you've tried to reach them, their heart grows hardened. If that happens, yes, then at that point, they're a false prophet. Then they, they have made themselves an enemy of the gospel. And ultimately, the next thing that needs to happen is they need people need to agree on what scripture is. If people cannot agree on what scripture is, the God that they would serve drastically changes based off the scripture that they read. Based off, if, if someone comes and they throw out many books in our Bible and bring distortion and corruption upon God's word, ultimately they will be starting to serve a God made in their own image as they pick and choose and cherry pick the books of the Bible that they want to follow. They pick and choose so that they can mold God into their own image. And ultimately, if that person does that and after approaching them, they fail to repent from that and they start preaching that, and, and they're a prophet of that. Yes, that brings destruction upon God's kingdom in a way where there cannot be unity with such a person. So, brothers and sisters, I hope, I pray that we can learn what are the, where do we draw the line? Where do we decide to come into this unity with someone else? And, you know, I know some people will say, well, Peter, you missed one thing. There's one thing that was missed, and that is if someone teaches that a, a law of God is, is not relevant, then they're a false prophet. Right? I, I know there are many people who would like to say that. Now, let me, let me just speak on that for a second. I agree with the pr principle. The problem is so often that there are people who have a different interpretation of God's word than we do. And then based off that, we call them a false prophet. Is that grounds to call them a false prophet? Are they a false prophet or are they someone who is having a theological disagreement? Because to be honest with you, so just so many people have different opinions on God's law. And, and I desire unity. I believe the truth is out there. I believe we need to preach the truth. I believe we need to bring, I believe God's bringing us closer to that. But do I believe that my pastor friend down the street who's preaching the gospel of salvation of our Lord Yeshua every Sunday, but yet has a different way of keeping the Sabbath is necessarily a false prophet out to bring crookedness to the, to, to make crooked the straight path of the Lord? I don't see that. I see that he may believe lies that he has inherited. He may not know the truth. Have we gone into his church? Have we become friends? Have we gr 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 gone in there to, with the heart of serving? 
Have we gone in there with the heart of loving them because they are brothers who serve the same Messiah, even if you strongly disagree with some stuff? Have you gone in there or have you shoved them aside and said, well, I don't I don't want to go there. You see, brothers and sisters, God is calling us into a deeper place of being a witness. I have been called by the Lord and in years past into churches where there, I'll be honest, there were stark theological differences between us. But God said, I want you to go into this church. I want you to go because I want to teach you some things. And guess what? God showed me some things, even through people who I didn't fully agree with. And then one day the pastor, he pulled me aside and says, I want you to be in my Bible study. Like, oh, sure. What an opportunity. I join his Bible study every week for more than a year. And guess what? At some point we get to read through those Ten Commandments. And at some point we get to that fourth commandment, which this he doesn't keep. And I just pose the question. So what do you guys think about this one? Let's talk about this one. But because I have a relationship because they know me, they know I love them. They know I'm kind they know I have the love of Christ. Now I can come and I can be like, guys, what do you think about this? Do you, why do you think we don't keep this one anymore? And suddenly hearts are opened wide. And some people at that point may still walk away. Some people at that point may still reject. But my and, and this is what Paul faced. There were many people in that synagogue who it says believed. And then there were others who were filled with jealousy, who raised up rumors and lies. But Paul went after those who were there, the persons of peace who were there to believe and hear. So often we we just toss people aside who God is still after their hearts with. God has been so patient with me and with you. He is still patient with me today over so many things that I don't even know I am missing out on. That's in his word that I'm still discovering. And he's doing the same with you. Now, how prideful can we be if we're like, well, I have this one revelation that this other people don't have. And I'm so much better than they are. And they're just false prophets because of it. Man, I believe that there are laws that you don't keep. There are probably laws that I don't keep as well as I should. That, and it's all about balances. It's all about checks and balances. There are some things that you are very focused on, maybe. And maybe there are some things that I'm more focused on. And maybe there are some things you're missing out on. Maybe there are some things I'm missing out on. As believers, we must have this temperament, this humility of realizing, man, you don't have it all figured out. And yes, you can recognize someone else doesn't have it all figured out. And that's good because you can then help them. But have the humility to realize that they may know some stuff that you don't too. Because so often that is the case. So when we are talking about people who are not against us, like Yeshua said, if they're not against you, they're for you. And I think that we've been treating a lot of people as if they're against us, who are actually for us. We may just have disagreements. So, brothers and sisters, this is a lot. This is a lot to think about. This is a lot to pray about. And you may be thinking about this and you may be puffed up inside right now, offended that I could say such a thing. Go to the father and ask him. Go to the father. Go to your prayer closet and ask him, what does it look like to be a light to the world around me? Who are the real false prophets? How do I do with them? And who are the people who aren't necessarily false prophets, but who are in disagreement and who may need correction? And how do I do with them? 
God is calling us deeper into a place of love because ultimately you won't be able to see this revival of spirit and truth go forth if you're not willing to recognize that you may be missing a part of spirit or truth. And there's other people who may need the spirit or truth inside of you. God is calling us together. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a light to people around us. Help us to have the heart of discernment of recognizing people for where they are at. Help us to recognize, Lord, where we draw the line in the sand. Help us to recognize. Give us your Holy Spirit. Give us your kindness, your love towards those who are in disagreement. But even to our enemies, help us to love our enemies, Yeshua, just as you did. Yeshua, I thank you, Lord, that on the cross, when we were your enemies, you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And today, Lord, we ask, we stand in the gap for all of you who are now today still your enemies, who are our enemies, who are opposing the gospel even, Lord. And we pray for them. We pray for them to see, for their eyes to be opened, for them to hear. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for those who are making crooked the straight paths of the Lord to be struck with blindness so that they may see and so others may see the truth of the gospel. I pray all this in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. If this teaching has blessed you, subscribe to stay up to date with these episodes. Share this video and like it. It really helps up the YouTube algorithm for others to see it. Thank you. And I'll see you guys next week. Many blessings and shalom.